Happy Mother's Day, everyone. Uh, this morning we have a treat for you. Um, we're going to have four different people uh, share four different testimonies as it relates to our mothers or motherhood. So we're going to hear four different uh, aspects or perspectives about motherhood. Um, and uh, I'm really looking forward to this. So I'm going to introduce them uh, in turn. And the first person who's going to come up and share with us is Brittany Drew. Let's give Brittany a warm welcome, shall we? I did not know I would be going first. <laughs> That's okay. Good morning. Yes, my name is Brittany, and my husband Nick and I have two kids, um, Caleb, who is five, uh, Rosalie, who is three, and we have one on the way who's doing uh, at the end of the summer. And I'm really honored to talk to you about the gift of motherhood this morning um, because it is really a far greater gift than I ever could have asked for. Uh, Caleb and Rosie are truly gifts to us. Caleb, our oldest, is gentle, caring, extremely outgoing. Um, he loves books about adventure and playing outside. And Rosie is our funny, sweet daughter who loves books about ballerinas and um, dressing up like a princess and singing Disney songs at the top of her lungs. So they are truly more than than we could have ever imagined, and we are, we are blessed by them every day, the little things that they do. But there was a point in motherhood when I did not see God's goodness in it, and I felt really um, overwhelmed and exhausted and joyless every day, and my anger was really starting to terrify me. Um, I had always considered myself a pretty level-headed person and wasn't really easily stirred to emotions publicly. Um, but that all changed a few years into parenting. And my identity that I had of being a strong, capable person was, was shattered. I came to the end of myself. I was no longer able to just pull myself up by my bootstraps and say, tomorrow's going to be a better day. Um, I came to face-to-face face face with the reality of my limits. And one day in desperation, I turned to the Word, or God turned me to the Word. Um, I started waking up early before my kids to, to read the Bible and to journal. And as I did that, God opened my eyes to the depth of my sin and how pervasive my pride he showed me how I had been valuing the opinions of others more than his and how I was striving to attain my righteousness by my own good works. I had forgotten grace, and I'm not sure that I, even though I had grown up in the church, I ever really knew what grace was until that time. And by showing me the extent of my sin, he showed me the greatness of his love, the vastness of of his grace, that at my worst, he loved me still and had always loved me. 
and had paid the price. So as I pursued him by his grace, he increased my desire for the word and to pray and to hear and respond to his Holy Spirit. And in those months, he really just flooded into my life with grace. And I began to hear from him all over the place, um, in nature, in books, through my kids, through words from other people, through sermons. And in turn, he gave me prophetic words for other people and for the church and really grew my gifts. And there were a lot of life lessons I learned in that time. Um, He was calling me to simplify and to slow down, to focus my priorities. I ended up leaving the part-time job that I had at the time. But most of all, he brought me to Matthew 6.33, in which Jesus says, Seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. Because I had been getting it backwards. I had been striving to do it all, be it all on my own. And all I needed was him. And in those early days that I was seeking him, the Spirit um, gave me a simple prayer, which was, let me be weak, Lord. Let me be weak. Because he knew what I needed was not strength for today, but I needed his nearness above all. I needed to know my need for him. More than anything else in my life, motherhood has driven me to my knees and back to God. And that's why it's a greater gift, because it is a mercy. It is a way for him to show his amazing grace to me again and again. And it has humbled me and shown me my my right standing before him. It's shown me my need of a savior and my daily dependence upon him. I'm really so thankful that he brought me to the end of myself, because I'm limited but he is unlimited. I am flawed, but he is holy and perfect. I am fickle, but he is faithful. And in drawing me back to him, it gave me a joy in submitting to him and a desire to want his will over my own for my life. And when I fail again and again, his grace is still sufficient. Last year, Nick and I went through a difficult season um, We lost two babies to miscarriage before getting pregnant with this one. And because God had drawn me back to him before that year, I was able to walk with him in both sorrow and joy, knowing his nearness and trusting in his goodness and his perfect will. I didn't have all the answers, and it was still a struggle. But because he had drawn me close to him, I had an intimacy with him that I wouldn't otherwise have. And that time gave me even more gratitude for the gifts that we have in Caleb and Rosie and and the gift in this baby that's due in August. And resting in his grace has given me not only freedom in motherhood, but also a clear understanding of my role as a parent. Uh, In Psalm 127.3, it says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. And that word heritage means property that is inherited, meaning that these little ones are not ours. You know, they're God's. They belong to him. And we're given this high calling as mothers to steward these little gifts, 
for his, for their good and for his glory. And what a what a high honor it is, what a um, place of holy ground that he has placed us on as mothers. And that is a gift in and of itself. And his grace has shown me that my kids are my little neighbors that I'm called to love and to serve, not to control and dominate. And also that as author Paul Tripp says, I am more like my children than I am unlike them. Grace allows me to come alongside them when they fail as a fellow sinner and point them to Jesus. And grace allows me to ask them for forgiveness when I fail and show them this beautiful life of walking in faith, of running to Jesus again and again and delighting in what he has done. He calls me to teach them his commands, but it's through this lens of grace that we can never measure up, that he took our place, and that we have the perfect record of Jesus, and that he's given us his Holy Spirit to show us the way. My prayer is that more than anything else in parenting, they would see the love of God through me. I don't always do this well, and I often fall back into the law, into dictating my law and demanding obedience. But even in my failure, he is sovereign still. He's sovereign to accomplish his plans and purposes. As it says in Psalm 138:8, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. And Romans 8:28, that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So I'm thankful today on Mother's Day and every day for this gift of motherhood, this gift that beautifully reflects the Father's amazing grace that is ours in Jesus. And isn't that the wonderful thing about grace? God has woven it into everything in our lives, every moment, and all we need to do is seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be added to us. Thank you, Britt. That was really good. Next up, uh, we're going to hear from Tracy Rogers. Let's give Tracy a warm welcome, shall we? Yes, that's me, Tracy Rogers, and I have a habit of speaking really fast and with a South African accent, so you guys are at a big disadvantage, but I'll do my best to speak slowly today. For many years, Mother's Day was a Sunday that I avoided going to church altogether. I felt like a diabetic going to a candy store opening. Evan and I struggled with infertility for almost 15 years before we finally accepted that children were not going to be part of our future. We endured nine fertility procedures before we came to a place that perhaps adoption would be the way forward for us. I have a slide. Uh, Here you can see um, my dad uh, teaching Evan how to administer daily injections for one of the fertility procedures. Um, There in the middle is a very sort of blurred photograph, but was one of the most exciting photographs I had through my fertility procedures because that was when I had the most eggs, 15 beautiful eggs. Um, That's exactly what I wanted to see written on my hand when I woke up from the procedure. And then in the last photograph, that's me trying to be calm and relaxed in the hospital after having three of my um, embryos transferred. 
We had two near-successful adoptions. In the first, we were selected by a pregnant mother to be the future parents of her child. But when the baby girl was born, the social worker informed us that we couldn't have her as she had been born with a severe congenital heart defect and would have to live the remainder of her short 6- to 12-month life connected to machines in a hospital. At this stage, we thought that God was speaking to us about adopting cross-culturally. And quite remarkably, at the same time, someone my brother knew, a single, unemployed mom, pregnant with her third child, was looking for someone to adopt her baby, as she didn't have the means to raise him. I set up a meeting with her and the social worker, and it was all organized that on the day of his birth, we would fetch our little boy from the social worker's office. We drove there, excited that this could finally be it, the beginning of our journey into parenthood. No more feeling left out on Mother's Day. We brought home our little squished five-hour-old baby boy and named him Zach. We changed the first horrendous diaper, spent hours trying to get him to feed from a bottle, and then just spent the rest of the day settling into bonding with our little boy. We introduced him to family members, took lots of photographs, and later in the day, we received the dreaded call from the social worker to inform us that his birth mom had changed her mind and wanted her baby back. So back to the social worker we drove, handed him over to his mom. We prayed over his mom and her little boy and then drove home feeling shell-shocked. I have more slides. That's a few hours of our parenting. That's Evan feeding Zach, me feeding Zach and introducing him to the rest of the family, i.e. the fur children. And that's us changing the diaper and then introducing him to my, my brother, John. Um, I have given you a very shortened version of the trials of my infertility journey. If you're interested in the details, you can read my book, which is called No Kidding, and it's available on Amazon. And notice the spelling, No Kid. ING, so it's difficult to look up. Throughout our struggles, we had the support of family, friends, and an amazing church community who continuously lifted us up in prayer and supported us. We went up for prayer and healing at any opportunity and were prophesied over many times. I went through a period of feeling really angry at God. Why did he seem to give this good gift to everyone around me and so freely to everyone around me? Over the years, in many different ways, he has spoken to me and encouraged me in my childlessness. He, the, one of the most amazing ways was that he gave me a great understanding of our time spent on earth in comparison to our time spent with him in eternity, and in the light of that, how fleeting my trials would seem. So now, over two decades later, I find myself in a reproductively strong church. <laughs> celebrating yet another Mother's Day. And this is a stage when I could technically be a grandmother. <laughs> celebrating with others for something that I longed for for years is something that I can now do, but that's not to say that it didn't take me years to get there. Being childless came as a total surprise to Evan and I, something we never considered would be our journey to take. Although being a part of a church hurt at times, like on days like Mother's Day or at baby dedications and well-meaning but ill-informed people giving unhelpful counsel, my worst of which 
was, just relax and you'll fall pregnant. Uh, (laughs) um, Being surrounded by the love of our church community through this difficult time was something that I don't know how I would have done without. But just in case you're wondering, I don't need to hold your babies. I am now a passionate dog mom. (laughs) And you can see all of the dogs we've had from our first dog, Chandler, who we got in 1995, to our latest little girl, Agatha. Um, She didn't wake me up with breakfast in bed this morning, but she did drag me out for an early morning walk, so it's all good. (laughs) It's good, isn't it, to hear the different perspectives uh, on motherhood because you know there will always be in a group like this going to be people uh, who uh, go through kinds of struggles on days like Mother's Day, and so it's good to be able to recognise that um, and to recognise the church is a family uh, together, and that you know we're brothers and sisters, and also we've got surrogate children and surrogate parents, and, and so on. Uh, but thank you, Tracy, for your story there. Uh, we're going to hear next from Lissy, so please give Lissy a warm welcome. Happy Mother's Day, church. Thank you, uh, um, Pete. Where are you for all those chocolates? It made me think of a twist on... Um, that old saying, when mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Except when mama gets chocolates, everybody gets chocolates. It's very nice. So as, as Ian said, my name is Lissy. Um, and I just celebrated my 60th birthday. And once upon a time, Henry and I raised four children. Here's a picture of them when they were uh, just teenagers, which was about 20 years ago. Now we also have a son-in-law, two daughters-in-law, and seven beautiful grandkids. Each of our children there loves God, and for that we're unspeakably grateful. Long ago are the days when the four kids, Henry and I, went camping, and we were jammed in our sleeping bags in our six-man tent like so many sardines in a can. Henry would make everybody shriek with delight by rolling over us uh, all like a human steamroller. (laughs) And now, 30 years later, all six of us sardines are spread across eight time zones, from Tacoma, Washington, to Eastbourne, England. We can't imagine life without WhatsApp or FaceTime uh, that help us keep track of each other. Now, when Henry and I pitch our tent, it is really spacious. At home, we have four echoingly empty bedrooms. Sorry, are you hearing me? Okay. Recently, P.J. Smythe remarked in his teaching on older women that we have been there, done that, and have the stretch marks. (laughs) Don't worry, I'm not going to show you mine, but I will talk about them. More on that exciting thought later. It stands to reason that if you've given your A-game to your main calling, in my case as a mother, if you've applied the best of your creativity, stamina, and and know-how to co-creating and nurturing human beings, that 
once the intensive on-call part of that calling is done, there would be part of your life that feels gouged out, like some kind of radical amputation. But once a mother, always a mother, and what I can't do directly anymore, I do do remotely by prayer. I pray a lot for my grown children, as I know most of you do for years. God and parents team up when it comes to just plain altruism for their children. Take Job, for instance. His ten adult children would have regular feasts together. Afterwards, it says, Job wondered, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. So he would rise early and consecrate them, giving a burnt offering for each one. That's ten burnt offerings, three for the daughters and seven for the sons. It says, thus Job did continually. He prayed for his kids all the time. Once a parent, always a parent. Besides praying, I also intentionally encourage my grown children. Deeply and specifically encourage them. As I find out what they're doing, I look for ways that they resemble Jesus, and I tell them so. At Easter, my daughter had a diverse group of people over for dinner, and I couldn't get over how comfortable and meaningful she had made everyone feel. I made a point of noticing that and telling her what I noticed. This is a kind of benediction, like Jacob blessing his 12 sons. It's a parental office, and whereas we cannot get away with giving unsolicited directives or even advice anymore, we can nudge them in the direction of goodness as we see it happening. We can be prophetical like this with our children. Now, about the stretch marks. They show up in another place besides your abdomen. Your heart gets stretched, too. Your capacity to carry people. It says God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And now I find myself adopting everyone in sight. The single Hispanic dad across the uh, street from us waiting for his son to come home on the bus. The five widows in our neighborhood. The lonesome people in my workplace. The people in our community group that are going through things or celebrating things. I see other women in our church who may feel like their arms are a bit empty doing the same. Mothers or not, I believe women whose hearts are filled with the Holy Spirit stretch to accommodate the needs they see around them. And that makes us all mothers. Let me finish by telling you about my great-grandmother, Laura Johnston. She was born uh, to John Wesley and Clara Miller in 1883 in Prescott, Arizona. Here she is at age 17. That was, what, 1904, I guess. Great-grandma Nerney is a family legend. Once when she was 10 years old, and her cowboy father had gone away to drive Broncos from Prescott to Maricopa, leaving her, her mother and brother, alone in the middle of fields of sagebrush and alfalfa. Twenty-five war-painted Apache Indians with weapons rode up to them on their horses. Ten-year-old, spindly-armed Nerney was terrified, but from the well her father had dug, she drew bucket after bucket of water to wipe down those Apache horses till it felt like her arms were coming out of their sockets. Those Apaches ended up riding away without doing any harm. At age 81, Nerney took in one of my sisters, her great-granddaughter, when our family of five kids had to scatter because my father abandoned us. My sister Rennie was a teenager at risk. 
Nernie set up a cot for her in her one-bedroom apartment, and every night after chatting together with Rennie, she knelt down and started to pray for each of her children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, numbering about 30 at that point. She would mention each by name and then pray about something specific, some characteristic or difficulty. She also prayed for each of them to know Jesus. Today, Rennie is a thriving and impactful Christian because Nernie rescued and influenced her. And I am convinced that I am one of the results of her prayers and that my children are too. This 81-year-old widow did not go around like an amputee. She put that 81-year-old stretched-out heart to good use. She had more impact to make, which she did. We, all of us, have an impact to make. In our church, God has set the solitary in family. Ian exhorted us last week not to consider the ultimate goal to be happily married with children as fun as those times in our cramped tent were. The better goal is growing to be more like Jesus through relationships that God has set us up in currently. Ian exhorted us to lean into relationships, especially those that make us feel uncomfortable. Wash those Apache ponies. Take in the abandoned teenager. Pray for that single dad across the street. May God help anyone whose arms ache to hold a baby translate that to loving those he puts in our lives. When I do that, my stretch marks are not in vain, and my nest is not empty. In fact, my nest in my nest is every person who walks through the door of this building, every person in my neighborhood and my workplace, and that makes my nest pretty chock full. Excellent. Isn't it good to hear different perspectives, different stages of life, isn't it? We're going to hear one more now, and this time it's Steve Bowden. Let's give Steve a warm welcome. Everyone else went up that way. <laughs> oh. oh, God bless you all. I've never been a mother. <laughs> As, uh, in the words of John Powell, Jonathan Powell, I didn't see this coming. Ian... Uh, sent me an email. He says, uh, please contact me. And then he told me when he wanted, I mean, this was like on my, wasn't even a blip on the radar for me. Talk about my mother. Are you kidding me? Um, uh, that's probably the last thing I want to deal with or talk about or, or share about. Or, I mean, uh, but then as he's talking to me on the phone, I began to think, you know, I do. I really have a story here. Painful, but I have a, I have a story. And um, it's, it's such a mixture between God's blessing and, and just the mix. But before I get into that, I want to just thank you all for praying for me during my heart attack and my bypass and all of that. And it was huge. To say I'm thankful is an understatement. It simply is an understatement. I'm very thankful for um, Meg and Jonathan and their family 
and the increasing anointing on their lives. As a family, it's good to recognize increasing anointing. And there's an increasing anointing on their lives. Meg shared a prophetic word with me just the day of my heart attack, of God's hope and promise. And as I'm laying there on the table and they're putting in the stent, um, that just overwhelmed me. Huh? God is good. God is really good. God is really good. I want to thank Ian for his hospital visits and his uh, tender compassion. The night before surgery, he said, it's been nice knowing you. (laughs) I I heard you, you know. I didn't acknowledge it at the time, but I... I... (laughs) So... So since he uh, asked me to share today, I went out and bought a new shirt, Mother's Day shirt, at Madden's. <laughs> well, you get cheap stuff cheap. And I just want to let you know, Ian, it has color to it. It's not black. <laughs> I want to talk about generational faith and heritage. Um, I really had quite an experience with my grandmother, if I could start with her. We called her Nanny, and she lived in Elliott. And Nanny um, had Parkinson's disease when I knew her. I was just a young lad. And Parkinson's then, this was before there were any medications. She actually died, and I think it was a couple years later they started to come out with some meds to help folks that have suffered from Parkinson's. But she was really bad off. I mean, really bad, just weak and and extremely frail. And um, she was, uh, at the end there, she was transferred from home to the Wentworth home right here in Portsmouth. I remember going there and visiting her, and I was learning how to play the trombone and stuff, and I remember she fell asleep during a trombone solo. How can you fall asleep with me (laughs) blatting that thing in her ear? But she had lost so much muscular ability. You know, in Parkinson's, the mind stays extremely sharp, but everything else is gone. She couldn't speak. Um, She couldn't, if she had an itch on her face or a scratch somewhere, she couldn't move arms to, to do anything. And so she's very weak, just debilitated, okay? You have the picture. I mean, she could sit there and be drooling. We'd have to wipe her mouth because she couldn't, she just couldn't do anything. And there was, we would always have, my, my dad was a pastor, and we were all believers. And um, we would have communion with her and share service and, and things like that. It was always, uh, we'd pray together and with her. There's this particular time, we went in there, and, and um, Nanny began to cry. And I remember distinctly my mother saying to her, because it was her mother, she was saying, Mom, what's, what's wrong? Um, do you have pain? Do you have an itch? Is this, what, what's wrong, Mom? And I'm just a little guy. I'm probably eight or nine. And uh, kind of a terrifying moment in a way. We, we'd had a few with her. And um, my father leaned in close to try to listen because she just a wisp of a voice. And, okay, could you repeat that, Mom? Could you repeat it? And they couldn't understand what she was trying to say. But I heard it. Me, little kid, heard it. 
And this is what she said, with tears streaming down her face. He is so good. There's defining moments in our lives when God breaks in and speaks. And it was such a moment for me. I learned faith from this grandmother who couldn't move, who couldn't wash herself, who couldn't bathe, who couldn't do anything for herself. But I saw this radiance in her and that sickness and that illness. He is so good. That just stuck. Isn't it just God's grace that he allowed me to hear that as a child? That has stuck with me so long, so many years. When I went to Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, you know, to get my master's in divinity and all that, they give you a test when you go in. I didn't know they tested you. But they actually test you for your awareness and experience of God. And they said, Steve, you tested off the charts. We, we, we haven't really seen this before. of Someone who knows God like you do. They didn't talk to me. I just took this silly test. And I, I really thought everyone must be like this. Why isn't everyone like this? But I really credit it to my grandmother. He is so good, you see. And despite whatever you're going through, God, God is good. God is there. God is with us. Um, Dad and Mom's faith, they were in ministry together. Um, my mother, she founded a day camp, I remember, when we were out to Lenox Mass. It was a kids' camp in the summer. 250 kids started coming, and the uh, professors at a small Christian college there were teaching. They had a pool. They had all these activities. It was fantastic. I didn't know until recently. That was mom's idea. Um, Mom taught in public schools. She taught first and second grade in a one-room schoolhouse. Um, She had a love for the underdog, the underprivileged kids. They stuck her in that schoolhouse. It was one of the last of them in Massachusetts. They stuck her in that because these were the kids no one else wanted. They were the kids on the other side of the tracks, and they really were. You had to go by this huge pig farm to get to the Bradley School. And they were just hardcore kids. And it wasn't long before those kids were testing um, above <laughs> all the other fancy first and second graders in the, in the regular schools. Mom had a, had a love for that. Um, her greatest quality for me was that she listened. When I was a teenager, um, she listened to me. And um, I could pour out things and talk about things. And I was into George Harrison. It's funny what you get into, isn't it? But you remember his album, My Sweet Lord and all, and he's singing to Krishna, of course. And um, I just love that song. And I was singing it to Jesus, see. And so I shared it with mom. I couldn't share it with dad. Uh, He was just, you don't do things like that with my father. (laughs) Um, But with mom, she would listen. And um, she wouldn't wouldn't have a lot of comments, but she appreciated my spirituality. Um, So that was the greatest quality. But I'll tell you, our relationship was complicated. It was difficult. Um, actually, when I finished rehab for the heart thing, on my, <laughs> on my file, I brought it home. They gave me my records and everything, and it said that I'm complicated. 
And I, I told them, my wife could have told them that right from the get-go. Um, because of the, everything I went through, they label you as complicated because I had everything in the book. But mom, mom and I, it was complicated. You want to always honor your parents. I, I, I honor my parents in a great way. Uh, honor them if you want to live long in the land. <laughs> I, I really do want to live long in the land. But it was complicated. Um, so I just want to say this. Uh, and then I ended up being the caregiver for mom for many years. Many years. In family, leaning into relationships, like you talked about, leaning into relationships, can be tough because it's family. You know, gifting often comes down through family lines. Um, but so does other stuff. Generational stuff and all kinds of stuff can come down. And it can get weird in families. And with mom, I was always blindsided. When I was least prepared for it, she'd hammer me with something. But uh, this is Mother's Day. You don't throw mom under the bus on Mother's Day. It's just not good. You won't make it out of the building. But I was never prepared for a lot of that. Um, I remember a Pentecostal woman preacher. She was standing at the baggage claim waiting for her bag to show up. And she told this story. She was standing there and the conveyor is going and she would say, that's not my bag. And that's not my bag. That's not my bag. Oh, that's my bag. And the Lord spoke to her then and said, you've been picking up a lot of other people's baggage and bag. You only need to really pick up what's yours. And that actually was a huge help to me. And there were, I remember a day in Elliot, we were outside, and um, Mom hit me with something that I wasn't expecting again. And I got upset. I never had yelled at mom or anything like that. I was always a good kid. But I said, I can't listen anymore to this. It's not right. It's not good for me. It can't be good for you. And I turned and walked away. And that was a day I, I refused to pick up the bag. And it was great for a couple of more months. And then, but I'll just say it's complicated. I have a heart for people in complicated relationships. Uh, Ray shared this morning a prophetic word. And um, I just feel it applies. Those who are are almost without hope um, and wondering about the promises of God. Um, Some things are our bag and some things are not. Uh, Marion Narona, when he was here showing slides of his trip to Nepal and his work in Nepal, there's this Nepalese, is it Nepalese? Nepalese guy with a red hat on. And Marion just made the quip, and I'll just never forget it. It, just, it continues to crack me up. He says, see his red hat? Make redemption great again. <laughs> Oh, man, that cracked me up. I thought that was just so cool. (laughs) Make redemption great again. Uh, And caring for the last years, 
was ex- actually a lot of that for me. When my brothers, my old, I have two older brothers, and they um, head south for the winter. So I'm the one who lives near mom. So I'm stuck with mom, <laughs> is my feeling. I'm sorry, moms. And um, I remember my brother Dave smiling at me, saying, Steve, this is going to be a bonding time. <laughs> and it's like, you see, I'm out of here. <laughs> and in some ways, it was. In other ways, it was just more difficult. She did not um, die easily. It was long. It was drawn out. It was, it was, it was really tough. But I was there for her, holding her hand, praying with her, all of that. And then she passed, and my brothers and I, there's a big, um, I didn't get to grieve at all, really, because at the funeral I was speaking, and then um, afterwards we had to clean out the apartment. It was just rush, 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 and bang, 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 and all of that. But I want to tie this in about make redemption great again. It was probably a couple months later I had a dream. And in the dream, there was a letter from Mom. She had beautiful penmanship. Cursive writing was just unmistakable. And there it was. Um, And this is what it said. It said, Steve, I'm so sorry we didn't get to say goodbye. I want you to know that I really, really, really love you, Mom. I woke up thinking, my God. I knew that wasn't the dead speaking to me. That's not mom speaking to me. That is God speaking to me. That is the Holy Spirit speaking to me. See, he's preparing a bride without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. It's not up to us to do it all. It's not going to happen. He's going to do it. He takes the complicated and makes it simple. He washes it with his grace. So you have complicated relationships, more complicated than I ever had. He is at work. He is at work. And that's what I want to share with you today. I know you don't feel it. There are years and years and years I couldn't feel a thing. I, I just felt frustrated, annoyed, upset. But God is at work. Um, I just want to pray with you right now, if that's okay. Okay. Uh, Father, we thank you today for the different, four different slots that we've heard, really, on mothering and Mother's Day and, and, and all, um, being a mom and and just going through it uh, of the difficulty like Brittany was talking about, and then just the heartache of not being able to have children and going through that whole horrendous thing, God. And then um, having a coming, some, some, so many coming from a non-Christian background and then raising a wonderful Christian family and all the stretch marks that go with that. And then God complicated relationships, a heritage, rich heritage 
wonderful heritage, in a way life handed spiritually on a silver platter but being complicated. God, uh, forgive us of things, but encourage us to. Encourage us, Lord. Pour out your spirit, I pray. Let people know that they are really, really, really loved. And that these relationships, Lord, that have um, eluded us sometimes, and with the people that we are the closest to, Father, that you are at work. It hasn't taken you by surprise. You have a plan. You have a purpose for us all. So bless us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.